So our reading this morning is taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 39. It's entitled Future Glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. There's a story of two Jewish uh, friends. They haven't seen each other for 20 years. And uh, they meet together uh, at, a, at a cafe. And they talk for a couple of hours. And one of them says to the other, he said, you know, Jake, we've been talking for two hours now. We haven't seen each other for 20 years. And you have not asked me how I am. And his friend says, hi, me. I'm so sorry. I, I, I haven't asked you. How are you? And Jake says, don't ask. <laughs> and a lot of people feeling like that, you know, over the last, you know, the way things have developed over the last few months. You know, how are you? Don't ask. Don't ask. Um, because it's been a difficult time for people. They've, they've not been able to work. Um, they, they've not been able to do the things that they normally do. And that for Christians, as we look at as we look at the situation as it stands, th th there are those who find it natural to ask, what is God doing? Because God, in, in, God moves. And God moves in mysterious ways. Uh, what, what, is, what is God doing in all of this? What is, what is his purpose in all of this? Uh, and there are those who, who say, well, this is God's punishment on the world. We're so wicked that God is punishing us. Well, if God, if God punished us every time we do things wrong, I wouldn't be here now. You know? Um, or it's, a, it's one of the signs that the Lord is coming soon. You know, we, what, we, we, we feel we need to know why things are happening. But do we? Do we really need to know what God is doing? Um, or do we simply trust him in everything that happens? It's interesting that in uh, the song that, uh, as Graham Kendrick has, has, has developed, God moves in a mysterious way, he, has, he adds this refrain that, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust, I'll trust the wounds of Calvary, I will trust, I will trust. And... In this passage in, in the letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 8, Paul says something to the, to, to the Roman Christians. We know that in all things God is working for our good. I, I, I was talking to a friend just the other day, and um, we, we, we both share the, the, the problems that we're going through at the moment. And, and, and I said to him, well, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And he says, I hope so. And I couldn't believe that he said that. Paul doesn't say we hope that all things are working for good. We know. There's a certainty about it. There are certain things that we know. And one of the things that we know is that our God, who is holy, 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 
Our God who makes the morning to come every day is working in all things for our good. And that's a theme that runs all the way through the Bible. And, and I, I, I was thinking, you know, when I knew that I was going to be speaking this morning, I thought, what can I say that will, will be an encouragement? And, a, and a, about a, a month ago, a friend that I've not seen for about a year or so, um, he was nearby, well, he was in Bristol. And he says, is there any chance of us meeting for breakfast? So we, we met up. And um, Colin is, uh, is, uh, has been a minister for most of his life. And now he finds himself um, unable to accept preaching appointments because his wife became seriously ill about a year ago. And now she's disabled. And so Colin, the great preacher, now has to look after his wife. He has to do everything for her. And this man who thought that he, who thought that he was going to have, now that he's kind of semi-retired, he thought that he was going to have great opportunities for preaching. And he was going to be, um, you know, most weeks he'd be, he'd, he'd be preaching somewhere and blessing people. But he can't do that because he's looking after his wife. And he said, that what, he said to me, what I've been doing, Mike, is I've been thinking um, about what this all means. And he said, I know that God means it for good been giving, his, giving thought to this. It, it means, and he said, I've been thinking about Joseph and looking at Joseph and looking how God worked for good in his life. He said to me, you know, when, when you think about it, he said, here's Joseph. He's obedient to his father. And we, we, we were looking at this a few months ago when we were with, with Laurie and um, he said, you just, you just think about it. He, <laughs> you just think about it. And, and Joseph is doing everything his dad wants. And then his brothers, his brothers want to kill him. He said, but they don't kill him. Um, what happens is that, that uh, Judah steps in and he said, um, Let, let's not do this. He's our brother. Um, let's, let's. Let's put him in a, in a pit. Let's just chuck him in a pit. And what he plans to do is later on he'll come back and, and free his brother. But then what happens is some Midianite traders are passing by. And the brothers decide to sell, sell Joseph. Now the thing is, the Midianites went to and from Egypt. And they, they, the, the brothers sell Joseph to the Midianites while they're on the way to Egypt. What would have happened if the Midianites had been going the other way and they were going back home? There would have been a famine in the world and thousands upon thousands, thousands of people, including Egyptians, would have died of starvation. And possibly, and probably, Joseph's family would have also died of starvation because there would have been no food. Ma a massive 
famine, seven-year famine. But they just happened to be going to Egypt instead of going from, uh, from, from Egypt. And so uh, Joseph finds himself, it just so happens that he sold into slavery to a very influential man. But everything, suddenly everything starts to go right for, for Joseph. And uh, he spends, it seems, a lot of time in the house, working on his own, own in the house, and there's just his master's wife at home, some bored housewife who takes a shine to Joseph and day after day tries to seduce him. And then suddenly um, Joseph runs out the house, his, wife, uh, his master's wife takes a hold of him, and he's running out of the house naked. And she then takes the opportunity to say, look, he came in here to rape me. I screamed and he ran. And you can see all the evidence is there because he's not wearing anything. And so he's put in prison. But it just happens to be that he does well in prison, and the prison uh, governor, if you want, um, puts him in charge of everything. Everything's going well again. And, and then there are two important prisoners there. And uh, they have dreams. And Joseph just happens, to, just happens to hear them talking about the dreams. He says, tell, tell me your dreams. And then he interprets the dreams and says to the butler... When you, when you are released, when you go back to Pharaoh, tell him about me. And he forgets. If he told Pharaoh, Joseph could have been released. But he would have gone on with his life. But it so happens that what happens is that Pharaoh has a dream. He dreams a, a dream in which he's um, in which has a, a meaning, and the meaning is there's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and suddenly the butler says, "Oh, I just remembered something. There was this young guy in prison, and he interprets dreams. Now, if Joseph had been at large." Would they have been able to find Joseph? But it just so happens they know where to find him because he's in prison. And as a result of, of, as a result of Joseph's brothers selling him into captivity in, in Egypt, the, whole world, the world is saved, the ancient world is saved. Because in the, the, there's a, in the year of famine, there's plenty because David, uh, uh, because Joseph not only understands the dreams, but he's wise, he's able to explain to Pharaoh how he can, uh, how he can look after the, the land, how he, how he can um, make sure that people have plenty to eat. So what was working for, what the, what the, as we find at the end of, of, uh, of Genesis chapter, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, at the end of it all, when, Joseph, when uh, Jacob is, is dead, the brothers think that 
that Joseph is going to want to want to have revenge on them. But he says to them, no, it's okay. You meant it for evil. There's no excusing that. You meant it for bad. I mean, they, tr they wanted to kill him at one time. You, you, don't get the, you don't get people who are more hateful than that. But God meant it for good. God was working in it for good. I don't know whether you, you've ever really given any thought to the fact of the place of stories in the Bible. Uh, uh, about a year or so ago, I did a, a calculation of, of how many stories there are in the Bible. 50% of the Old Testament is story. About 90% of the New Testament is story. And um, I, I know ministers who really don't like story. They like to preach on the letter to the Romans. They like to preach on the letter to the Galatians. They like to preach on 1 and 2 Corinthians. They like to preach on Ephesians because this is really meaty stuff. That's really meaty stuff. Stories, well, they're stories. But everything that you read in stories is God's truth acted out in real life. So in Joseph, you find in Joseph there is, um, what we see is everything, work, Joseph loved God, everything that happens to him, the good things and the bad things, the indifferent things, God is working in them for his good. And the greatest example of all things working together for good is Jesus. When you look at the life of Jesus, yes, in the, most, of, uh, uh, most of his life, his first 30 years, are in, in obscurity. But in the, in the last three and a half years of his life, Jesus is, um, has nowhere to lay his head he travels around. There are people who listen to him and there are others who dislike him intensely. Till in the last week of his, of his earthly life, um, he is hated by the authorities and finally he's um, betrayed. He is um, he's scourged. Um, and he's crucified. I and mean, what's that all about? But in it, God was working for good. So that in, in, the, uh, in the second chapter of Acts, Peter speaking to the, the, the crowds in Jerusalem says that you handed him into, uh, over, to, um, uh, over to the Romans uh, and he was he was killed he was he was murdered but it was all done by the what the authorized version puts the 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 determinate counsel and foreknowledge of god god was working in it it was all part of god's purpose so and it's as you read the old testament scriptures you see the truth of it in joseph and you see it in the truth of it in the um, in the prophets so that in isaiah chapter 53 we read 
uh, um, in very graphic terms. He was, he was led from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken and who shall declare his generation? Jesus, 700 years before, is foretold in the prophet Isaiah that he is going to suffer. And what's going to be the end of it? That the, uh, that the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see his seed. Um, that, that, that he will prolong his days. And God's purposes will be accomplished in him. And if when we look at somebody like Joseph, who suffers in the way that he does and good comes out of it, and if when we look at Jesus, the most undeserving person ever to be mistreated and put to death, and God brings good out of that, not only brings some good out of it, it's not just a case, well, God will bring some good out of these things that happen to us. He will bring good. He's using those very things to bring about his purposes. And for you and me, in the circumstances in which we find ourselves at the moment, finding, thinking to ourselves, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that, and so on. All of it, in some way, is working together for good. I don't know what the good is. I don't know what the good is for you. I don't, know what the, uh, I don't even know what the good is for me. But what I do know from my experience of being a Christian for, you're not going to believe this, but I've been a Christian for over 50 years. And as I look at my life, and it's a good thing from time to time for us to look back at our lives, as we, as we find ourselves in difficulties now, you look back at your life, and you can see yourself in situations that are far, far worse than the one you find yourself in now. And didn't God bring good out of it? I could, I could spend all day telling you about things, terrible things that have happened to me, and out of it God has brought good. And Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is a really important text for you and me, living at a time in which we do. And there'll be times in the future as well when you'll have to take stock of that, take account of that. This is whatever it's happening, whatever is happening in this, it's working for good. And my friend Colin, he said to me, just as we were about to, just as we were about to leave after we'd spent a couple of hours together, he said, "He said what I've realised, Mike, is not just that having to look after my wife and be a carer. It's not just that it's God's will for me. He said I've realised that it's God's best for me. And I can remember seven years ago." friend of mine, a man that I wrote, I wrote a book about him, a man called Ernest Lloyd, he was 97 years old. He'd been an active man all his life. I wondered what that was. <laughs> I didn't know whether it was a sound system. But, um, but it, he was Ernest, 97 years old. Um, 
we had both preached at the same church in Northern Ireland a, a few months earlier. And uh, he, was, he was feeble. But what happened a few days after that, um, suddenly he couldn't breathe. And he realized that, you know, there was something seriously wrong with him. So he, he, he ended up in a, in a nursing home. And I went to see him in this nursing home in Northern Ireland. And he said to me, Mike, he said, I can't do anything for myself. 97 years in which he'd been, he'd been active. He says, Mike, I can't do anything for myself. He said, I can't even wipe my own bottom. These young girls have to do that for me. But he said, Mike, what I've realized is that this is God's will for me. And I'm, I'm sitting there listening to Ernest. And I am in awe of him. And at the same time, I'm conscious that I'm thinking, Lord, please don't let this happen to me. Lord, let me die before this happens to me. I don't want it to happen to me. And yet I have to believe that if I ever find myself in that situation, it will be God's will for me. It won't be chance. It won't be circumstance. It will be God's will. So, brothers and sisters, here we are this morning. Here we are listening, watching um, uh, on Zoom. This, Romans 8 verse 28 is a message for us today. That what happens to you and me is God's will for us. And we might not understand it, but that's not the point. His purposes will ripen fast. As we heard in God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And, and we'll understand. And we look back and we'll say, thank God for that situation that I went through because it's made me what I am now.